Friday edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Yes, Jonesy is back. A one-day hiatus, but he's back in the captain's chair and getting set for our final show of the week and a busy day today uh, across sports, but certainly a busy day for the Toronto Raptors as they are back home for the first time in almost two weeks, Jonesy. A six-game road trip in the uh, rear view mirror now, and the Raptors riding the high of a five-game winning streak following a 5-1 and one road trip, best ever road trip for the Raptors in terms of a six-gamer going 5-1 and one and hoping to roll that momentum into tonight when they see the Los Angeles Lakers for the second time this week as they got the win over LeBron and company earlier this week, then again got the win in L.A. beating the Clippers and now back home for this game against the Lakers. I'm sure a sellout crowd tonight and an opportunity to jump on an L.A. team again, a Lakers team that continues to struggle, that is slip-sliding in the Western Conference Still as the ninth seed, but 11 games below 500. And the Raptors now, having pulled even with the Cavaliers, the Cavs, because of the tiebreak, still the sixth seed. But as we stare down the final 13 games of the season, this is now the time where all the jockeying takes place, scoreboard watching, standings watching Jones. It's going to be a thrilling final three and a half weeks of the season. It sure is, Eric. And uh, I'll say this about... um about the the road trip um five and one terrific the schedule makers did not do the raptors any favors we know what the first game back from a long trip is like the raptors got the i believe the raptors got the clippers on their first game back from a long trip i believe they got the suns on their first game back from a long trip and that's a tough one so uh, as as poorly as la is playing and the fact that they haven't won a road game since January 25th, I just keep hearing uh, former Raptor coach Dwayne Casey say, you just hope that the roulette ball doesn't land on, on your square. Um, and, and as for the schedule, it's one game home. It's one game at home. And then you're back out again on, on Sunday and Monday on a back-to-back Philly and Chicago. So basically, I mean, for all intents and purposes, because you never really get to settle in at home, you're talking about, and I haven't even looked. You know, you and I, we, we, we sit there. It's like, who do we have next Thursday? What game is it next Friday? Like, we don't know. I, I, I honestly say that at times when players say they take it one game at a time or coaches, sometimes you do. I, I know who the next three are. I haven't looked ahead. But that's, not, that's like a nine-game road trip right there, E. It, it really is. Can you tell me who's after Chicago? Are you looking at your computer? Or you're, are uh, you know what? I, I only know it because it's my wife's birthday. <laughs> I only I only know that game. But I wouldn't have there been able go. to tell you about who's who's next Saturday or who's the following week. I, I like I knew that there was a game against the Celtics coming up, but I couldn't have told you. I just pulled the schedule up now. I I just knew it was coming, but I didn't know the exact date, the twenty eighth. Um, but heck, I was still scratching my head even as early as yesterday, saying Philadelphia at eight thirty on a Sunday night. Why? Why is it 8.30? Why, why is it not like 6 or 7 or even a, after 8.30 Eastern? What the heck's going on there? I don't know. Obviously, it's TV and, I don't get and it. national TV and everything else, but it made no sense to me why an Eastern time zone game is tipping off at 8.30 on a Sunday night. I, 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 don't, I don't get it either. But then again, like I said, we don't, we don't make, the, make the schedule. <clears throat> we don't... Uh, we don't uh, have anything to do with that. And, and as I said, the schedule makers didn't do the Raptors any favors. That being said, this has never been a team that um, 
that would that would uh, make an excuse. So uh, away you go, and let's see if they can get it done tonight. That's that's where it starts. Well, and and listen, you know, I I know we've talked a great deal, Jonesy, and I mentioned it on yesterday's show as well. That first game back, you just touched on it a couple of moments ago. The first game back is always a tough one, but. Um, how many times have we come back from a four, five, six game road trip with, you know, a one and three record, two and three record, oh and four, oh and five? I know the Raptors have experienced and we've experienced in the past as well, right? Right? So if you can come back from a road trip, Jonesy, at five and one with momentum, it's not like you're coming and licking your wounds. So you had a day yesterday to hopefully kind of get reacclimated and get the body reacclimated. Maybe, maybe, just maybe. This is one of those rare cases where it doesn't come back to bite you. Or maybe the game that comes back to haunt you is, as you say, those are the ones that are coming up on the road where it doesn't even feel like you've been at home. Maybe you don't play catch-up with your body and your your mind and, and, and the normalness of life until Cleveland or Indiana or even Boston coming up during that homestand. But maybe this is the one where you just look at it as an extension of your road, road trip and don't allow yourself to, um, you know, to even get into that mindset of, of – you know, it's 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 back at home, and we just finished the road trip. No, pretend like home is road right now, and just keep that same type of um, approach and mindset, that same same type of schedule, in a sense, going into this one tonight. Yeah, you have to, you have to, Eric. <clears throat> and uh, look, they have been playing really well. Uh, they have been playing very, very well, and uh, <clears throat> getting contributions from everybody. <clears throat> I will say this. I love the way Pascal Siakam has been playing and what he's been able to give them. Um, he's, he's almost getting to the point where he's, he's, an, he's an automatic double team for uh, the opponent. Like, take it out of his hands whenever you can. Because if he gets you going on the dribble and gets into the paint, it's, it's, it's lights out. He's going to score. He's going to kick it out. They're going to swing it. You can't catch up to the ball. You can't outrun the ball. And there's going to be something good happen. And, you know, if I'm an opposing coach at times, I mix up the looks. But there are times I just I, – I, I slow the team down coming up the floor. And if he's bringing the ball up the floor, I like I double him right at center as he gets into the front court. Make him give it up. Deny him. Don't let him get it back. Like that, like that kind of stuff. And that's hard to do because he's such a good player. I mean, people would say, well, why don't you do that with a, a LeBron or a Kobe or, you know, a Michael in his day? Well, it's e- much easier said than done. But Pascal is playing lights out right now. He is he is so good. Uh- Did we just lose Jonesy? I think we lost Jonesy. We'll get Jonesy. We'll get we'll get Jonesy back into the mix in a couple of moments here, um, as uh, maybe a, a little connection issue on Jonesy's end. But we'll get him back into the mix uh, in a couple of moments again. Raptors getting set for that game against the Lakers tonight at seven thirty, uh, and then the Raptors hit the road again for two more. Philadelphia, Chicago on the back to back on Sunday, Monday. We're going to talk more about the Lakers game later on uh, during the show when John Ireland joins us, the radio play-by-play voice of the L.A. Lakers, and hopefully he can kind of make sense of what has happened to L.A. 
this season. We've been trying to figure it out for quite some time now, uh, whether it's just the chemistry mix and, and, and the change and the overhaul of the, the bodies and perhaps the wrong bodies, but maybe John can make some sense of it because as much as we've been sort of beating the horse of the Lakers, at the end of the day, they still are in a playoff spot, and that's the one thing, Jonesy, at the risk of beating this one to death a little bit too, the one thing that bothers me about the play-in is the fact that a team that's nine games above 500, the Raptors, a team that's 11 games above 500, the Minnesota Timberwolves, may not be in the postseason. But if a team that is 11, or even in the Pelicans' case, 13 games below 500, if they catch fire for just two nights for a couple of games, they could be in the postseason. And I get the whole idea of win when it matters. There's no better time to be talking about that than right now in the midst of March Madness. Ask Kentucky about how it feels. By the way, my bracket is busted, and we'll get into all that later on. Um, but I just it something about it doesn't feel right when you think about teams that are, like, I don't know, Jonesy, maybe I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. Maybe I'm splitting hairs a little bit here. But when you've got a team that's a couple below, a couple above, hovering right at 500, I don't necessarily feel as bad. I don't feel as much angst if they get bounced or knocked out. Because did you really deserve it? I mean, you played well, but you didn't play great. When you're 9, 10, 11 plus games above 500, and you're not locked into a spot, and you're potentially ousted by a team 10, 11, 13 plus games below 500, something doesn't sit right with me there. Now that's why, again, who knows, this is just you and I flapping our gums in Canada. I don't know if anybody will listen to us, but I would love to see as we move forward, it seems like the NBA is not getting rid of the playing. I told you a few days ago earlier in the week that I like the idea of locking in the top seven and having the last playoff team have to fight it out, not the last two. But I also like the idea of putting a benchmark on if you're not within, say, five games. Maybe it's three games, but if you're not within five games, you're out, period. There is no plan. The eighth seed is locked in. Even if the eighth seed is seven games below 500, if you're 13 below 500, you're not in the play-in. The eighth seed is the eighth seed. Like, I, And again, we're early in this infancy that I hope the NBA is open enough mentally, um, let alone visually, to look at it and go, all right, we have this plan, we have this idea, it's worked okay, but it might need a couple of tweaks, and I hope they're open to that tweaking in the years to come. Uh, let's hope so. But, I mean, this is something that they, they run by the Players Association. And if, you know, those guys are okay with it, even though it, it sure sounded like at times some of the guys weren't. <laughs> um, you know, LeBron himself was, was great with the playing as long as he wasn't in it. And you heard what it was like last year. And, uh, well, thank goodness for the play-in this year for the Lakers that they're actually in it the way things have gone this season. But I, you know what? He, I, I love our ideas as we pat ourselves on the back. It was that Pulp Fiction. Um, <laughs> but, but I don't think the league is, is, is going to change stuff. I mean, they've got, more, they've got more eyes on it. They've got more cities involved. And as we said, one of the spinoffs has become anti-tanking because of teams trying to get to the 10 spot. I mean, athletes and teams always believe that. Just get me in and I'll make some noise. Um, you know, that underdog mentality. So I, I like it. I kind of like the play-in. 
I'd like to see it tweaked the way you have talked about, but I just I, I just don't see it happening the way the way things are going right now. Yeah, probably not, probably not. But who knows when the dust settles in another couple of years or another few years, we look back on this at year five or year ten, Jonesy, and, uh, you know, God willing, we're still doing the show and still talking about this. Hopefully it's at least with a bit of a different narrative and, and uh, you know, it's it's maybe brought a little bit more. I hate using the word fair, but the fairness, like, honestly, put Toronto out of the mix right now, even though they are in the mix, nine above. You tell me Minnesota, 11 games above 500. Like, the Timberwolves are finally good outside of that one-year blip they had a few years back under Tibbs. They're finally good. They're knocking on the door of trying to be very good, and they could potentially get bounced by the Pelicans or the Lakers. Like, that's just, I don't know. It, it doesn't it doesn't sit right with me, and I'm sure it doesn't sit right with a lot of people in Minnesota. Um, not a lot to talk about in the association from last night, as there was only one game. And listen, who knew this that it was going to play out this way? But the NBA saying, "Hey, March Madness is going on. We know well enough to not put the spotlight on our league. We're not going to have anything." Actually, you know what? Let's just throw Detroit and Orlando out there. And and so there was one game in the association, albeit it involved the two worst teams in the Eastern Conference and two of the final three in the entire league. But at the end of the day, it turned out to be a good one. And I won't lie, I didn't watch a second of it. I didn't watch one second of it, but perhaps I should have because when I say it turned out to be a good one, both teams hovering right around 50%. Uh, Orlando at 48.5, the Pistons at 50% and even 50. And we talked about him when the Raptors played Detroit a couple of weeks ago and the Pistons beat Toronto. The one guy that I know I circled, and you did as well, we both like his game, Sadiq Bey last night with a 51-point performance. And what is in the water in the NBA this last week with Carl Anthony Towns going for 60 and Kyrie Irving going for 60 and now Sadiq Bey with 51? The scoring has been off the charts just this last week alone. Yeah, it has been. And uh, it's, it's, it, it really is fun to see a guy get it going like that. And we, we would know, right? E, we had a front row seat uh, the, the night that the guy scored the second most points ever in a game in NBA history. And after a while, I don't care what team you're cheering for, you start cheering for that guy. And you start cheering for history, whether it be NBA history, the guy's own personal history with a, with a career high. It's just fun to watch. And, um, <laughs> you know, Corey Joseph last night at the end of the half, um, Sadiq Bey had like 26 or 27, and they made a steal, and he got a layup, and then Orlando threw it away, and Corey Joseph ended up with the ball. And you could see him looking around like, where's my dude that's like burning the house down now? And he gave it to Bay, and he hit a three-pointer <laughs> to give him 30 at the half. And I'm telling you, it was, it was, it's one of those where, uh, you know, our, 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 we, we always say it, man, feed the fire, feed, you know, feed the fire, let, let it keep going. And uh, it was it was kind of fun to watch. I was I was channel surfing, so I had an eye on it and I started to tune it in a little bit once I found out he had 30. He was he was getting it going and uh, it might turn into a historic night. But I think he became the youngest Pistons player ever to hit the 50 point mark. And that was something else. And, you know, Dwayne Casey says it quietly. Y'all get your licks in now, because when we get we get a little experience and we get going, we're going to be tough. So maybe last night showed a little uh, harbinger of things to come. Yeah, 10 of 14 from distance uh, for Sadiq Bay, 17 of 27 overall for the 51. Jonesy, you mentioned the three ball at the end of the half. 
I wanted to ask you about this yesterday. So, again, John Ireland, play-by-play voice of the Lakers, is coming up in a couple of minutes' time, and we will circle the, uh, the conversation back to the Raptors and Lakers at Scotiabank Arena tonight. But I wanted to ask you about this yesterday. You weren't on the show, so I, so I, I put a pin in it because it's still, to me, a, a, a topic to be discussed, one that I think we've gotten into at times in the past. A couple of nights ago, uh, a game involving the Charlotte Hornets. And Charlotte was having their way. You know, they were they were having a heck of a night against Atlanta. And end of the ball game, game is over. Like, game is in hand. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm 99% sure it was Kevin Herter who was playing about eight feet off of um, LaMelo Ball. And there's maybe 32-ish seconds left in the game. So much like most teams, not all teams, but most teams, it's looking like Charlotte is going to take the shot clock violation. They're going to take the turnover. They'll give the ball to Atlanta. Atlanta will inbound the ball. They'll dribble out the clock. Game over. Done. And LaMelo's just standing there playing with the ball, kind of dribbling back and forth, hamming it up for the crowd. The crowd's buzzing. They're, they're, they're already up by, I, I believe, seven. Game's over. And at the last second, he flings up a three ball and hits it. Now, I think that alone is kind of BS. And I understand you've said to me in the past, play to the buzzer, but neither guy was playing. They were both just standing there. Melo just took it to not take the turnover. And I'm willing to even look past it. I'm willing to say, you know what, fine. You don't want the turnover on your stat sheet. You want to play to the final buzzer. Why should I? Fine. I'm I'm willing to give you that. But did you see after he hit the shot, he actually kind of like started hopping around, like doing like some sort of dance like he was, he was, he was skipping or hopping back towards the center circle and towards his bench, like yucking it up. That's where I had the problem. And I'm not trying to be a part of the no fun league here or whatever moniker you want to put on NBA. I know you like saying no fun league about the NFL. I like personalities, but I don't like some of that stuff. Like to me, that's salt in the wounds. That's immaturity. That's that's BS. I don't want to see in the moment. You beat a guy with a three at the at the heart of the game in a top moment, or you dunk on a guy, or get a huge rebound, a huge block, make a beautiful pass, make an incredible steal, or dive for a ball, jack up the crowd. I got no problem with any of that. But you tell me when the game was already over and the dude's not even covering you, and he thinks you're going to take the turnover, you hoist up the three and you hit it. Okay, fine. But then you go hopping and jumping and skipping towards your timeout to end the game. Man, next game. You better watch out because my elbows would be high every single time. Uh, the only thing that bothers me about it is the celebration, like you said. Uh, look, the Golden State Warriors do this, and it is out there. If it's the end of the game, <clears throat> we're not going to yep. take a turnover. Sorry, we're not going to take that turnover on our stat. We're not going to inflate our stats. We want a true reflection. Uh, they have a lot of games, or when Steve Kerr, I guess, Uh, instituted this policy they had a lot of games where Steph wasn't even playing in the fourth quarter and they were up big and a lot of their bench players were going down the stretch and I guess his philosophy as well those guys don't play much let them run the offense Uh, let's not take a turnover practice our execution it is a game everybody's here to see it we are getting paid like like all of those things and I get it 
And and so if that's out there, that's fine. And and this idea that this idea that uh, you know teams must dribble it out at the end of the game. No, that's an option they have. It is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. again, I would like to see the NBA put me in front of the competition committee. I would like to see the NBA not count those as turnovers. If I'm up 20 or it's a hard-fought game and it's back and forth and you know, it's like it's a clutch time game inside five points with five minutes to go and we're back and forth and then I go up three and then I go up five and then I hit a three to go up eight and then they foul in the last with 40 seconds to go and I make two free throws and I'm up 10 and they come down and miss at 20 seconds and I get the rebound and now I decide to dribble it out and it's not an, like I'm going to win. NBA, don't put that turnover. Don't count that turnover in the team uh, turnover column. Put a separate column up. Fourth quarter, uh, fourth quarter uh, in the lead turnovers, or last minute of the game, last possession turnovers. Like, like, give me that stat. I, I don't have a problem with that. The same way. And and like to your point, E, I don't like the dancing about it. I don't. I don't. I don't mind the shot. I don't like the dancing. The same way, players protect their shooting percentages by not taking that heave at the end of the half from from mm-hmm. the other side of center. You know what, NBA? Don't count that as a field goal. It's like when a guy drives to the bucket and he gets hit for an and it could be an and one. If it goes in, you get the field goal and the field goal attempt with the free throw. If it doesn't go in, it doesn't count as a field goal. So if the shot is from below your own free throw line, give it to the guy. Encourage those guys to shoot it. Don't count it against the percentages. Like to me, and that's like that turnover. Give it to them, but don't count it in the main body of the turnovers. Give it a separate category. Just my thinking. Like I said, put me in front of the competition committee. You got a lot of things to bring this competition. I do. A lot of them. I do. A lot of them. In the words, in the words of, in the words of Nino Brown in New Jack City, one of my favorite favorite movies. I got a whole list of names in my pocket. If I'm going down, I'm taking everybody (laughs) with me. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't know if that's a transition or a segue because I, I could probably come up with a bunch of things. It's been it's been that kind of year for the Lakers. They've they've probably got a list too. But that said. They're still alive. They're, they're still alive in the play-in, something we've been discussing already on the show. And, heck, we've talked about the Lakers and the play-in and the postseason and the season a ton on the show over the last couple of weeks and certainly even over the last couple of months. And I'm sure this man has as well our counterpart on the uh, L.A. side of things as uh, he will have the radio call uh, for the Lakers and the Raptors tonight, 7.30 Eastern down at Scotiabank Arena as the Lakers are in the midst of a road trip. The Raptors back at home following their six-gamer on the road. Uh, the voice of the Lakers, John Ireland, joining us. John, thanks for the time today. Oh, anytime, guys. Paul, Eric, great, great to meet you. Eric, was that you with the with the take about don't count the half-court heaves? No, that's me, John. No, that was, that was, that that was Jonesy. That was Jonesy. That, I've been okay. pounding oh, that drum okay. for a long time. All right, so, Paul, it's so funny. When you see Michael Thompson tonight, you will not find a bigger advocate for your theory. Michael uh, is great. Keep in mind, his, his son is one of the great three-point shooters of all time. His theory, every time I bring up the fact 
that Michael was one of 13 career from three, and that Clay obviously got all of his three-point shooting from his mother. Uh, Michael makes the argument you just made that that those shouldn't have counted because he threw them up all at the end of half. So if your rule gets passed, he will be the number one beneficiary of the percentage improvement. So he, you've got a supporter in Michael. Well, John, and you know, it's funny because guys talk about it, and <clears throat> I've read about it too, where um, people in our business will say, well, you know, he's protecting his percentage. He waits till the buzzer goes and then heaves it, you know? And if you if you kind of incentivize that, incentivize that, guys might actually do it. And And people look at me like I'm crazy. It's the same way with the turnover. Like Eric and I were talking about a turnover at the end of the game. Steve Kerr makes it known. We're, we're not taking that turnover. It's usually my, my, my bench peak guys on the floor. They're going to play it out if we're up 20 and there's 30 seconds to go and there's a full shot clock. We're going to take a shot, and that's, and that's fine by me. If, you, if they do decide to take a turnover, then put it in another column. That's, that's just me. I'll have to get to yeah, Michael tonight. I completely agree with you, and I will I will be uh, your campaign manager to put you on the competition committee. I think all of your ideas are excellent. I'm bringing hey, all hey, of hey, you John, guys careful with when me. you say all. Care, you know, careful when you say all, okay, because I've been with Jonesy a long time. And so they're, they're, not, they're not all great, Jonesy. I don't mean to toss you under the bus. Most of them, the great, a great vast majority are, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to say all. But we do need to get you in front of the competition committee at some point because, John, this list has gotten very long over our 20-plus years together. Um, John, well, be, there's be a segue careful, for me. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. I was just going to say that if you put Michael in there with Paul, then then you've got real problems. Michael wants a four point line. He wants a he wants a oh. horizontal key. The first thing he would do, which I agree with him about, is he would eliminate illegal defense. He hates when they yes. stop the game for illegal defense. So there's the, if we get Michael and Paul together, we'll have a we'll have a whole new game by next Monday. Uh, I, I want hey, John, maybe they can... I want the take I want the take foul out. I want the uh, I want the uh, foul out rule to be amended so the referees don't tell me they don't know who has four fouls and who has five totally fouls agree. at the end of the game. Totally uh, agree. Like I anyway that that's another show, John, that we're on. We got a roundtable. Me, you, Eric, and Michael Thompson. Sometime. There you go. Done. <laughs> Done. Anytime. <laughs> All right, gone are any transitions or segues now. So I'm just going to ask straight up, John. Uh, <laughs> What the heck happened this year? What, like, I, I mean, there was so much optimism going into the season. It's been talked about ad nauseum. I'm sure you're tired of talking about it. But honestly, what happened to the Lakers, and, and how did it kind of unravel to this extent to the point where we're still asking in the middle of March, towards the end of March, what happened, and is there enough time, enough optimism still, in spite of the record everything else, to think that, man, it can still be kind of somehow glued together uh, for this team to, to maybe make some noise in another month or so? All right, I'll answer your question with two points. The first thing that I said at the start of this season, if the Lakers are going, and, and guys, remember, they were favored in Vegas to win the Western Conference with this roster. Mm-hmm. I said if they're going to do that, two things need to happen. Number one, they need to play championship-level defense, which under Frank Vogel, since Frank has been here, we've been top five in defense every year. So I almost expected that. That's number one. And number two, we're so top-heavy. Our roster, like you compare our roster to the Raptors roster, uh, you guys are so deep 
And and you know, I was I was laughing that on this road trip, that was such a great trip for you guys. It, it almost seemed like you had a different leading scorer every night. You know, one I think Trent in Denver went for forty two. I think you know Siakam was was probably the leading scorer on the trip. But you know, on another night, you might have, you know Scotty Barnes might have led you in scoring. So you guys are really balanced. We're the opposite. We've got all our money tied up in three guys: Russ, AD, and LeBron. And so the second part of my if this is going to work theory was those three guys have got to stay healthy. If those three guys get hurt, then this whole apple cart gets toppled over. So AD's been hurt most of the season, and he's our best defensive player. So those two things are related. Um, you know, our whole defense was tied around Anthony Davis about our guards going out and, and you know, playing kind of tight on the, at, you know, at the three-point line. And if you got beat off the dribble, then they, they would run into AD. When AD's not there, the defense just breaks down. And so when, when the injury started to happen, and he's missed a bunch of games, uh, LeBron's missed some, not, not as many as AD. Um, so those guys getting hurt was the first thing about what happened. And the second thing was, when I say championship-level defense, guys, you saw it when we played you earlier in the week. In that game at, at what we now call Crypto.com Arena, I'm still getting used to that, um, in that game, I think at one point you guys were ahead 30-6. to six. In that first quarter, we didn't play bad defense. We played no defense. I mean, none. You guys were, were able to do whatever you wanted. And, and so that's a short answer to what's probably a, a, a deserves a long one. The two things that have happened, injuries, which happened to everybody, but then our defense just crumbled, and that's why we are where we are. Okay, John, I'll look at the other side of the coin. Um, it's, it's not great right now, uh, but I will say this. That's still the L.A. Lakers. That's still LeBron James. That's still Russell Westbrook. That's still Anthony Davis. And the possibility of, well, what nor- normal team calls, calls lightning in a bottle is still there. I don't think anybody's putting up their hand in the West going, yeah, okay, we'll take the Lakers in a seven-game series. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think that's happening. So what's the likelihood? And, and if we refer to the, to the tuna, Bill Parcells, you are what your record says you are, but it all gets wiped out in the second season. And, and you're around this team all the time. What's the attitude like, the optimism potentially for catching lightning in a bottle uh, starting in you know, about a month from now? All right, here's the glass half-full scenario. The, the specific answer to your question. We stay where we are in the nine, which is going to be hard because we're a bad road team this year. Matter of fact, guys, we've lost 11 straight road games. And, and then we're staring at you guys tonight and then a back-to-back in D.C. tomorrow night. So the schedule's not helpful. But uh, the, the, to, to take your, your viewpoint on this, let's look at it optimistically. Lakers stay in the nine. They would play in the 9-10 game in the play, and they would play New Orleans in L.A. The 7-8 game would be Minnesota against the Clippers in Minnesota. So let's assume Minnesota wins that game. They've been playing well. The Lakers conceivably, if the season ended today, would play both games of the play-in tournament in their own building. They would never have to travel So that's part one. Part two is Anthony Davis could be back a few days before the play-in tournament. So you get the Lakers, as you mentioned, at full strength with three stars and two basic home games 
in the play-in tournament, that's how they get in. And then once they get in, remember they played Phoenix last year, and with AD, they were up 2-1. to one. AD got hurt, and then Phoenix won the next four. So that's the dream scenario for the Lakers, that they get Davis back, he turns them into a monster, they get two play-in games at home, and then they've got a puncher's chance. But there's a lot of ifs, guys, in the scenario I just laid out. And the biggest one is they've got to figure out how to win on the road. We have 13 games left, and nine of them are on the road. Um, And we're not a good road team. So to stay in that nine spot, a lot of things have to go right. The Lakers heading into the game tonight against the Raptors to John's point at 9-23 and on the road this season. Raptors and Lakers at 7.30 at Scotiabank Arena. Uh, John, I don't know that this necessarily impacts the Lakers. It could. I mean, it's only two and a half games. But at this point, how confident do you think the Lakers are and the Pelicans are that they don't need to look over their shoulder? Like, is San Antonio or Portland even a threat still? I know math says they are. But realistically, do you see either one of those teams being able to overtake the Pelicans and or the Lakers? I don't know what you guys think, but I think Portland is tanking. I mean, if you look at their last 10 games, I think they've lost eight of them. They don't appear. They've traded all their best players. They seem to be in a rebuild. I'm not worried about Portland. San Antonio is a completely different animal. Um, We are now two games ahead of them, I think, maybe two and a half. And keep in mind, we're road heavy. So let's say we keep losing on the road. Um, And and of these eight or nine road games we have left, we lose five or six of them. Um, That opens the door for San Antonio to walk right through. And so I think San Antonio is a real threat when you consider that most of our games are on the road. I think New Orleans is going to be there. They're playing really well. And by the way, guys, we've lost to both the Pelicans and the Spurs within the last two weeks. Um, oh we've lost to Portland in that window. So we're, we're going the wrong way. And I have not, you know, assumed anything. I don't assume we're in. I gave you the, the optimist view when you guys asked me that question about, you know, wh- what would be the best-case scenario. Worst-case scenario is we continue to lose on the road. And on this road trip, we play three more good teams. We play you guys tonight. We play the Wizards, uh, who played us tough last week. We ended up winning that game. But that was one of those games where LeBron went for 50, and he basically put the team on his back. Um, But we play here tonight, Washington tomorrow night, and then in Cleveland on Monday. I'm not sure there's a win in there. Uh, It would be good for the Lakers if there is because that could get them off of this road losing streak. But that's that's what I'm worried about as, as somebody who works and roots for the Lakers, is that we, we keep losing on the road, and that would let the Spurs in the door. Does that answer your question? It does. Yeah. It does. And, and yeah, yeah. And, and, John, look, Dwayne Casey used to say uh, when a team was going poorly, he said, yeah, but just make sure that roulette ball doesn't land on your square on that night. And like, I, I, always fearful of LeBron. And, and what he could do in terms of putting the team on his back. And, and I, there are a couple of questions for me in here. I know Eric probably wants to ask about Frank, but I'll leave that to him. I, I'm, I'm going to No, I'm going to let it go. I'm, I'm going to let it go for the day, Jonesy. All right. All right. Well, then, well, then I'll sneak it in on the back end of mine then. I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback it okay. in then. Um, um, for me, John, I look at all the tumult that's been going on with Russ, and that, that can't be good for the team. 
there's part of me that feels badly for Russ because he didn't come there to, like, if people think he came there to play lousy and screw it up and, and have the team lose, they got another thing coming. That That's not the case. I mean, the guy is a former MVP. He's back in the town where he played his college ball. I mean, that had to have been big for him, and it just didn't turn out. And then the other part of it is we've always wondered, like, how much of the blame does Frank wear? Uh, because he, he doesn't rebound. He doesn't play defense. He doesn't make shots. But everybody wants, there are times, everybody wants to heap it on him. Right. All right. So let me tackle Russ first. Um, you guys are talking to the president of the Russell Westbrook fan club. He's been my favorite player in the league for years simply because, and you guys see this because you're around the league, he's always played harder than everybody else. If he were a video game, he would be the one character in the game that moves faster than anyone. Um, and, and, you know, you, that you could speed up on. He just, the guy leaves it all on the court. He's had a nightmare season simply because he hasn't been able to find his shot. His shot is way off. The, the other defenses are leaving him wide open. Even when he attacks the rim, he's been having trouble finishing, which he's never had that problem before. It's just been, if, if I would compare him to a golfer, he's almost like a golfer with the yips. He's just, you know, you've seen him make that shot a million times, but for whatever reason, he can't make it. He's still, you'll see tonight, he still plays hard. He still attacks. Um, the one thing I will say uh, in terms of uh, if, if Russ, if I had his ear, I, I mean, I'm friendly with him, but he wouldn't take basketball advice from me. I, I think when he came here, he was used to having to do everything, to putting a team on his back and having to carry it. He doesn't have to do that here. We have LeBron, we have Anthony Davis. So Russ could have been more deferential, but I don't think it's in his nature. So we're just hoping that at some point over these last 10, 15 games, the yips go away and he finds a shot. There's been flashes of it, not a lot, but, but there's some flashes of it. So I'm, you know, we're all rooting for him, but it's just not going his way. In terms of Frank, um, he, he hasn't changed at all. I mean, you look at Frank Vogel's defense over the first three years he was here, it was a top-five defense. What's changed are the parts. The guys that got into people, guys like Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Alex Caruso, and I would even argue Kyle Kuzma turned into a pretty good defender before we traded him. Those guys are gone, and the new guys haven't really adjusted defensively to what he wants them to do. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm like you guys. I've been in this league a long time. I know the coach often pays the price when a team doesn't win. I mean, you guys saw it with Dwayne Casey. He had all those winning seasons, and they moved to Nick, and then they win the title. I don't necessarily – I think Dwayne probably had a lot to building that title team rather than being the problem with it, and I would make the same argument with Frank. I don't think Frank's the problem with our team. I see how hard he works. He hasn't changed as a coach. He's adjusted to try and fit the personnel. We just don't have the defensive guys or the three-point shooters that we had when we won the title. And that was just two years ago. You know, we won the title in the bubble. So um, I, I'm a Frank Vogel fan, always will be, no matter what happens. I, I'm not naive. I think there's a chance that, that Frank could be in the hot seat when this, when this all ends, depending on how it ends. But um, I, I'm, I'm in the camp that this is not a coaching problem. I don't think it's Frank's fault. John? Uh, listen, we're, we're, we're out of time. Uh, would love to keep the conversation going, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll definitely track you down at the arena tonight and, uh, hey, maybe get you back in a couple of weeks when we're previewing the postseason. All the best. Anytime, boys. I appreciate you having me on your show, and I'll see you tonight. Thanks, John. Take care.
There is John Ireland, voice of the Los Angeles Lakers, Raptors, Lakers at Scotiabank Arena tonight, 7.30 is the tip-off time. When we come back, we'll shift our attention from the NBA to the NCAA and uh, a million brackets busted. Seth Greenberg will join us next on Smith & Jones. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Smith and Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. And we get set for the Raptors and the Lakers tonight at Scotiabank Arena, but certainly keeping an eye on the NCAA March Madness with the tournament beginning yesterday. And it started with the bang, Jonesy. I don't know about you. I'm in three separate pools. And depending on how you look at it, I'm either doing well or terribly. Because I did have Kentucky in my Final Four, so I'm probably done as it stands now anyways. Much like many people. Maybe that's what ultimately saves me is there are so many people that had Kentucky that it won't bite me because I'll be in the mix with everybody else. But I'm in three separate pools, and and either smartly or stupidly, I put the exact same bracket into all three pools. So if I win or lose, it's it's either feast or famine, right? Because it's not like I put in three separate. I'm fifth in two pools. And 27th in the third. <laughs> so so I guess the one pool, there were a heck of a lot more people that picked a, a, a lot better than me. Um, but that, that, that Kentucky game has to be at the top of the list. And let's start there, perhaps, as we bring into the conversation uh, one of the best out there from ESPN, uh, college basketball and NBA draft analyst as well, Seth Greenberg. Seth, thanks for the time today. No problem. You guys doing all right? Doing great, we're, Seth. We're, we're doing well. Year. We're doing well. Yeah, Seth, doing, listen, I, I, I said to Jonesy up the top. Yeah, but the, you know what? Perfect. That's exactly what I was just about to say to you. I think a million brackets busted is kind of the theme for today, so I'm glad to know that yours is, as is mine, with Kentucky and that game being at the top of the list. But what a thriller that ultimately was, and what a great storyline, Seth, like we seem to see every single year. Yeah, it was great. I thought Seton Hall earned the win. I mean, it really, very simply, I thought they earned the win. I thought Shaheen Holloway did a great job. They imposed their will on the game. They pushed and dominated the guards of Kentucky. I thought that they spread Kentucky's defense out. Uh, Kentucky did a poor job of defending those spread ball screens. And... and I think we just lost Seth. I think we just lost him. Oh. Um uh, look, E, and you talk about a million brackets busted, not just the Kentucky game, but like the big conferences, like UConn gets beat. Uh, like they, they, like they, they had to work. I mean, the Gonzaga game was, it was a two-point game in the second half before they ended up winning by 20. So you just, you just never know. And I, it's something that I hope we get Seth back because I want to ask him about um, – you know some of the big conference getting beaten, but is it is it probably something that we can see very plausible because a school like Kentucky, where a lot of the guys are one and done or one two and done, against a place like St. Peter's, where those guys have no illusions of going to the pros, and they go to college and they're there for four years, and then they go and play, you know pro somewhere overseas and it, it, they're they're more seasoned so seth it, uh, um we heard your take on kentucky yep. but i was talking about the big conferences in general 
that um, they sometimes struggle with these places. I mean, I look at St. Peter's. Kentucky's a one-and-done factory. St. Peter's a place where kids go and they're there well, for three, really four not years. A and factory anymore. They took, they they got a ton of uh, transfers in that program. They packed. I don't know. They even have a one and done. Maybe Ty Ty Washington this year. I guess. Well, maybe the the transient so, nature of their program, the the big program, some of them, and then you've got a place where you get kids that are seniors that go to school for for four years, and, and they played together. They, they become very tough to beat, don't they? I mean, look, I'm not going to overreact to one Kentucky loss. I mean, the Richmond team had four super seniors, so you can say in that relation, uh, you know, are super seniors and older teams going to win more games in the tournament? Yeah, but I'm not going to condemn. You know, people are going to use the transfer portal to get older, and those kids are one-and-dones in essence. They're transferring in and eligible immediately. So are they one-and-done players, uh, or are they just a way to get older? Like, Kentucky had an older team this year. I mean, Kellen Grady was a 2001 scorer at Davidson. Xavier Wheel has transferred from Georgia. I mean, that was an older team. Oscar Sheway came from West Virginia. Uh, Iowa had an older team, that team that was together. Jordan Bohannon was a sixth-year player. Keegan Murray's actually a sophomore. But they had veteran players. Look. You're going to have upsets in the NCAA tournament. Nah, that's just the way it is. Connecticut was an older team. They lost text, uh, to New Mexico State. So I don't like to, you know, I don't, I'm not a, a creature that uh, overreacts to these things. St. Peter's beat Kentucky yesterday. They played a great game. Kentucky did not respond. I, I think it's more pressure. I think there's so much pressure on the one and two and three seeds, and you're going to see some upsets. You've seen a ton of 5-12 upsets. But, you know, like Michigan beating Colorado State, a veteran team, wasn't an upset. Michigan, quite honestly, had more good players than Colorado State. So I don't I don't overreact to that kind of stuff. Hey, Seth, to, to the point you just made as well, and, and maybe this is too much of a blanket statement, but it seems like, at least by my estimate, the last, I don't know, three years, five years, we've seen more of those upsets than perhaps we used to. Not that they didn't happen, but is it fair to say we've seen more in the last handful of years where you're talking about the, the, the higher seeds dropping and maybe not you know, being able to handle some of that pressure you spoke of? Yeah, you know, I, don't, I don't know the analytics of that. I mean, I think we just remember them more right now. Uh, I think, hmm. that, you know, obviously you had Virginia lose, and a year later they won a national championship. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think you know you're seeing some teams lose. I, I, here's my take on the thing. It's real simple. These teams that have come from the one bid leagues, they've won 22, 23, 24, 25 games. They've won a championship. They expect to win. They believe in what they're doing, and they have great trust in what they're doing, and they expect to win. And I think you know they get it going, and the pressure goes on the other team, and you know they have good players, and and they find a way to close the deal. So. You know, I, sometimes I think, you know, we always try to find, you know, what, what what's going on. And I think what's going on is, you know, some of these, te- these teams have won a lot of games and, and, and they have great feel for each other, that's for sure. Something's, go- something's going on. One team played well that day, the other team didn't. I mean, you know, there's so many factors that, that, that come into play. So I'm not, I'm not one to just overreact to all that stuff unless I see the data. I know that, you know, obviously 12-5 is a big upset thing. The 6-11 is, we've seen a lot of upsets, but uh, in the end, you know what we're going to see in the end? We're going to see the ones and the twos and the threes and the fours in the, in, in, in the, uh, in the Elite Eight. 
Hey, Seth, I know it's a busy time of year for you, and uh, we had some, some, some trouble tracking you down, so we're going to bug you again if we can in another week or two, maybe as the dust settles on the, no, the no, Sweet 16 I, yeah, or the Elite I, 18. I, I apologize. Yeah, I apologize. I'm, I'm like today's just like been my busiest day from seven o'clock in the morning to two <laughs> seconds from now when I'm walking the sports end. So I really do apologize. Hey, All good. there's no All apology good. needed. No apology needed. We totally understand. We're out of time, though, so sorry for making it short. But we will bug you again, and we appreciate you carving Thank out you. a few minutes for us. So no, no apology necessary. Thanks so much, Seth. Thanks, Seth. There is. There is uh, Seth Greenberg from ESPN and, and shows what kind of duty is that he's apologizing to us. No problem about that. No doubt it's a busy time for him. And the madness is about to begin today as well with the first game tipping off between Loyola Chicago and Ohio State. And then at uh, 1240 in just under an hour, Jacksonville State and Auburn. So another busy day. Jonesy, keep that bracket together. Keep it together with some tape. And I'll see you down at the gym tonight. Raptors and Lakers at 7.30 Eastern at Scotiabank Arena. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones. Wherever you get your podcast. please rate and review. We'll talk to you again next week, folks.